are you doing? Hey, relax, Holmes. I got it. Hey, come on, slow down, man. Hey, Holmes, lay back. Hey, you're supposed it? to be a lowrider, man. We're supposed to be cruising, man. Well, lay back and cruise, that's it. Oh, you're driving like an idiot, man. No, I just can't get used to this automatic, man. Yeah, well, they are complicated, aren't they? Yeah. All right, man, you ready? I'm ready. All right, do it, man. Okay, children, let's take our seats. One, two, one, two, three, four. Noinch, noinch, noinch. Smoking weed, smoking weed, doing coke, drinking beer. Hey, young America, we need to talk. You may think this is uncool. You may even think it is bogus. But I want to tell you about something that has everyone buzzing. Something that concerns mature boys and girls just like you. I'm talking about marijuana. The history of marijuana. Marijuana, the, the one drug that never killed anybody. Are you on drugs or is this your naturally moronic self? Marijuana has become a part of the popular consumer culture of the United States. You got any narcotics or marijuana in here? <laughs> Not anymore. We're smoking reefer. And you don't want no part of this shit. Get out of here. It's not going to make me want to have sex, is it? It makes sex even better. You don't want it. I think I kind of want it. <laughs> okay, but just this once. Come on in. All right. And, and welcome to the podcast called The Drug Code. I'm excited to begin this podcast with a friend of mine from Phoenix, Arizona. He's going to be joining us this hour, and we're going to uh, get into the talking of discussion of drugs. Um, I'm in my I'm in my safe place. Tim Martin, uh, urban legend, Glassworks out in Phoenix, Arizona. Are, are, you're in your safe place, eh? Definitely in my safe place. <laughs> nice, nice. Thanks for joining me tonight, man. And uh, we've known each other for, uh, gee, how long has it been, man? Um, maybe 12 years, 10, 10, 10 to 12, around there? I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I was thinking leaning more 12 or 13 years. I right. Mean, it, Since I can remember really getting into the industry, you're one of the first, you know, quote, personalities that I really met. I didn't even know you were a personality when I met you. But Right. Yeah. No, I was, you know, a little low key is getting into the marijuana um, legalization movement. You know, that was for me was something that I could use my radio show when I was in Phoenix doing it on the radio is utilizing my airtime to help spread the word because I've always been a supporter of it. I mean, we'll get into that in a little bit, you know, but as, as far as this, the reality of, of, of illegalizing marijuana, it's just it's so stupid and, and antiquated that it's the, the mentality of, uh, of our society has been duped into believing this falsehood of of what could have been really helpful to our society for so long. So I think this, that kind of um, like, come on, wait, come on people. Let's go. You know, that's kind of what I wanted to be a part of is help bring that out of people and and wake them up to this. So um, entering this world for me was also um, new, you know, being in, in activism and stuff like that and actually going to an actual protest you know, right. and, and walking right. the streets with everybody with a sign. Never done that before. So I think that uh, you and I kind of gravitated towards each other too. Is uh, you know, I was in that same space. You know, I I, I worked as you know a corporate professional. You know, you know, uh, in an office with glass windows, wearing a suit and tie every day for the last fifteen years. And here I walked into this, you know, uh, idea of owning a smoke shop. And like, I quite literally lied to my parents for the first 
probably two and a half years that I owned my business of what actual type of business it was, you know, uh, coming out and saying that I was selling, you know, weed pipes and bongs was not part of the program. So I remember when we first met, I think that's why we were comfortable. We just sat down as strangers. If I remember at, at a, you know, random, we, we were helping the community. We were sporting normal, bringing all the petitions up to the uh the courthouse you know on yeah. that that was a pretty epic day you know i mean that was a pretty epic day that kind of changed everything as far as you know um uh, uh, weed uh laws in arizona went um you know we we're at the foreground of that but you know i was a little nervous it was the first time i put myself on blast too you know um and i think all of us were a little bit nervous i called myself a, a closet stoner yeah, well, yeah. All right, so you, because you worked in a building in a suit and tie and no one knew you got high. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> you know, and up to and including my wife at the time, you know, this was something that I really hid from everybody. You know, I was smoking weed even back then, suit and tie days, but, you know, I was taking my shirt off and my tie off and leaving it in the car and going over to a friend's house and smoking a blunt. And then, um, you know, uh, uh, then getting, you know, over to, uh, you know, a friend's house to get to get high and, and getting back in the car and getting back dressed and washing my hands, whatever, so that I could be, you know, right back into it. That's incredible. I didn't know you were. That's a, that's the definitive closet smoker right there. I mean, you Absolutely. really yeah. you hit it from everyone that yeah. I, that's um Cause I was thinking about that earlier before, you know, we were going to do the show and I was, you know, at, we talked about what's your first time and, you know, what would you suggest and do kind of fun things, but also like, you know, it, it, we, it needs to be more comfortable for people to, to tell you that, Hey, I smoke weed. Don't judge me. And I, I think that was half of my battle honestly was just this um, you know, I mean, obviously it's been 12, 13 years. Um, you know, I, I think everyone, well, I would hope everyone has some miraculous changes in their life in the course of 13 years. Um, I think like you know, most of people, I've changed quite a bit in those 13 years. My exposure to the cannabis culture, my exposure to the glass art culture and the culture associated with that. And, and what I like to commonly refer to as the counterculture, that exposure has changed me as a human forever. You know, I mean, just forever. I will never be the same person that I was back then when we sat at a table. And I was just now coming on to these ideas. But I think, again, you know, half my battle back then was for me not to have to fucking hide in the closet anymore, for me to be able to have something like it's okay. Right, right. So when you were closeted, closeted smoker, the, the cannabis, you know, closet, um, the first two years of your ownership, you were a cannabis closet user? Absolutely. So yeah. did that kind of deny you reaching out to the, to the world you're in now? Or because what do you know what I'm I saying? Mean, like, no, I think, you know, my way to protest was actually protesting, showing up at these events. Like I could do that and not have to admit that I was smoking cannabis, but then I felt that it should be legal. So it was this thing that I could do. Right. And I think that was, you know, genuinely my protest in the whole thing. And it was more of a selfish endeavor and which turned into more of endeavor of realizing that like, yo, 
no one, no man, no woman should ever go to jail for a fucking plant, right. for a plant, right? something that grows out of the earth. It just doesn't make sense. Right. And it, again, that comes down to people disbelieving what they're told. And, you know, on the storyline that they try to maintain is thankfully falling apart. And I, I think we're kind of at the precipice of the of uh, of that new reality of hey, this is really a good thing for all of us. You know? Right. Um, you know, coming coming out of that that um, for yourself, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my quick story, you know, because I had a panic attack when I started to get my radio show put on. K High Radio, fifteen eighty AM in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I, I told you this in the break a little bit, but um, I pursued putting my show, this show that basically we're, we're on right now. I, I pursued putting it on that radio station because I wanted to talk pot and I wanted to do it on an AM station. So I got approved. I got some money for it, and we made it happen. I mean, you talk about the secret. That was the secret without knowing I was doing the secret. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> I, I like, I knew I wanted this and I was going to get Manifesting it. Shit, I totally manifested <laughs> it. Yeah. And I did it really smooth and I got it. And then, um, you know, whatever, but, um, I, I knew that by being on this show, on this station, on this network of cannabis conversations, uh, marijuana talk radio, that I'm coming out. I got to let people know that I'm a complete smoker. And I, not that people didn't know that about me in the first place, I think they kind of, it's always the suggested that, oh yeah, Kev gets high, you know, gas gets high, you know, that's, that's fine and no big deal, but, but in a professional way, you know, uh, for me as a professional radio show host, which I am, <laughs> which I have been in the past in Phoenix, Arizona, um, coming out of the cannabis closet and doing a show like that on that station was risky for me, I believe in oh. the world of radio. So I think, and I had a panic attack when I got approved to do the show. They gave me the, like, yeah, we're good. You're going to start Monday. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, like, oh, roaming the, I was roaming the house like it's, it's out. It's out there. And, and maybe I'm overreacting. I'm sure I am. But, uh, right. yeah, but it, it, I always kind of kept it to, to myself. And now that I haven't, um, I feel a lot more liberated, you know, that I can uh, share the things I want to share um, because I am high. You know, it's not shameful to be high, you no. know, and uh, I think, you know, a lot of people like I use this analogy, like, you know, you say you worked at an office, so you know this. So let's say the dude, let's say you walk into the office and you have a great relationship with Mary, Mary's 65 years old. She's been there for a very long time. You and her get on, get on really well together. You're just friends and you're just very friendly together. Well, one day Mary finds out that Tim gets high. Now Mary looks at Tim differently. So that's what needs to go. That narrative is old and it's outdated and it's something that we all grew up with, you know, and I remember, you know, I, I'm intelligent. I pay attention and, uh, you know, uh, they, they always say hindsight's 2020. And I look back on the way things that have progressed and that narrative, you know, like I just think of it as, as I think most of us do, coming directly from our parents. It's where we learn it. And, uh, you know, I remember the narrative when I grew up, it was, um, you know, pot is evil. You know, it's a drug. It could kill you. Oh, my God. I grew up on the, you know, say no to drugs era. You know, uh, 
we, we had Nancy Reagan, uh, Reagan pushing hard. Like I remember, you know, um, as, as a, uh, you know, in elementary school, like having the go to drug shirt and you know, <laughs> it was just down our throats. And that right. narrative of like all drugs are bad, um, you know, was, it was definitely <clears throat> echoed by my parents. Right. And um, I remember seeing pictures, you know, in old photo albums that I wasn't supposed to be looking at of what looked like, you know, some kind of funny cigarette in my dad's hand. And, uh, but he was that, you know, he set this, this tone of like, I am greater than thou. And I think a lot of us grew up that way where we held our parents on this pedestal, like they never did anything wrong. And it was really this bullshit about everybody pretending to be something other than what they actually were. When I wish my parents would have just been real with me, like, yo, I smoked pot, like, you know, wasn't that bad, didn't kill me, probably would never kill anybody, but you know, it is illegal. So don't do that shit because I don't want you to go to jail. Right. I would have respected that a lot more than, you know, oh my God, you're going to burn in hell forever. If you smoke this, this devil's lettuce. <laughs> I really, that's, the, and I grew up in a small no. town, you know, small town USA. So it was definitely echoed throughout everywhere, school, you know, just the church everywhere. So, so that's the mentality though, that I think, you know, they always talk about if you're into the spiritual thingies and you get the memes once in a while, you know, um, <laughs> is is breaking the cycle of of family kind of cycles, you know, that you see right. consistently, consistently run through the families and stuff like that. Um, right. And this is kind of one of them. It's you, know, you think about like, you know, my parents, too, you know, they grew up, you had to get a job, you had to get a family and then you just had to maintain that. So there wasn't a lot of room for them to question anything and to really kind of, you know, ex go for what they really wanted to go for. And I think that's where we're, uh, I'm seeing that kind of that, that change, that, that older generation is really the last of the, uh, I think of the, that kind of mentality. Well, there was, uh, I think there was, you know, and, and, and this is the, probably the perfect place to discuss even relatively uh, conspiracy theory <laughs> kind of topics, but you know, uh, just all conspiracies aside, I think really um, when you look back on um, you know society and history throughout the last ninety years, hundred years in America, we're really looking at an era or you know a, a couple of two or three generations of systemic programming. You need to shop like this, you need to buy like this, you need to marry like this, this is the house you need to live in, the car you need to drive. And, you know, uh, marketing and traditional advertising, uh, advertising was really coming into its prime. The industrial revolution had just hit. We have all these new ideas and these new resources. And, and it was this time of growth and everybody was happy and kind of blind to the fact that they were fucking being programmed. And- um, Or conditioned. It's very conditioned. That's right, because you're looking at a whole society of nothing, basically, and all of a sudden, here's this industrial world coming in, and it, it shakes their world. We are we're really the cusp. You and I are at this age, and, and we're, you know, a few years apart, 10 years apart, whatever, but it's still, we're at that very cusp of understanding. 
right. of these generations who are starting to question. And, you know, I mean, all of this started in the late 60s, you know, this movement of like, yo, like, what do you mean? <laughs> What's going on here of, 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 of an awakening? I hate how people call it woke nowadays, whatever. I mean, I, I get what it means, you know, for what it's worth. I get what it means. But this this awakening really happened by, well, obviously, you know, the introduction of psychedelics into mainstream society um, and uh, up to and including, you know, cannabis, um, especially cannabis versus hemp. You know, hemp was widely available for 100 years, but didn't offer the psychoactive results that we got from Eastern cannabis. And that's a whole different ball game. You know, we're talking about, you know, uh, GW, uh, you know, having, having gardens of hemp, it, it wasn't cannabis. So, you know, there, there was a big difference and, you know, that big awakening came, you know, at the, at the same time, a lot of things, came to our culture you know um a lot of eastern teachings kind of came at the same time and you see this huge movement with the ram dasas and the timothy learys and the you know on and on and on and um they've they've changed our culture forever um but it's also brought in you know this opportunity for i think the first generations like us right to really start questioning things in a big way it's it's not that's you're right that's kind of where it comes down to is you know the question authority you know you you look at the spiritual side of things which is equally if not most important really because taking right. care of our internal is the best way to you know take care of the external world so i mean it's so we have that but then you have you know this uh this other you know type of um lifestyle you know the society that we built is being questioned why are things run this way we don't need it to be run this way things don't need to be this way we don't need to do it this way anymore so that's to me is that's the social upheaval that we're going to start seeing a, a lot of change in the way our lives are living um and in the marijuana project or the marijuana um movement if you will in general is, is moving towards uh, that's such a positive thing. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in good hopes for the, for the future of the marijuana world. Well, and, I mean, listen, you know, at this point, you know, guys like you and I, like at least here in Arizona, we helped kick these, this, this thing off, or at least help push this snowball down the hill. And, um, it's happened. Uh, the, the, and, and, and I like to, you know, kind of make a, a real clear distinction that I don't identify myself as the cannabis culture. Right. Um, I like to identify myself as the counterculture because it's the counterculture who's always on the edge mm. of, 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 of what's acceptable pushing or pushing, uh, you know, the edge of what acceptance is in the minds of the mainstream. So it takes us out here questioning, well, why do we do things this way? Rather than just falling in line like a bunch of sheeple, like, okay, this is the way we do it. This is the way they tell us to do it. Okay. You know, I don't have to. I, I've always had that mentality in my, 
mind. Growing up as a kid, I've always questioned authority. I've always questioned right. religion. Um, I, I always did. I mean, it was just one of those things. I mean, and I'm, I'm glad I got high before Nancy Reagan said, just say no, because right. I was really young. Yeah, when I, did. I never did. No, I mean, I was like 12 years old when I got high. <laughs> so I was like 13. So, okay. So, right. So the, I, I might've been 13, but I think I was younger. I think I was 12. I, I feel I was, it's just one of those things where I, I but we are sure. a generation apart. So, you know, yeah. we've got like 10 years of separation. So that makes a little sense. It was, you know, during my time I came at, you know, like my opportunity to get high, you know, Nancy Reagan was doing her thing in like 1986. I was a kid. Yeah, Right. So you're, you're talking early nineties for you to get high right. for the first time at, right. thir at 13. Exactly. So, right. So I know that time there was really not much difference because again, there were no cell phones and there was no internet. So I think, I think once we go, that should be like the, you know, the new <laughs> before Christ, after Christ, <laughs> you know, right. absolutely. Internet and cell phones should be the, the, the break in between of if you live beforehand, because you're right. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of lifestyle and living that I grew up with in the same thing for the most part. I mean, but, you know, as this technology comes along, it, it changes your, it changes everything. But, you know, as a kid, when you, your only entertainment is what we had growing up, you know, the weed was probably, you know, a lot of fun to do. Well, it was for me at least. I mean, I had a good time doing it, but I mean, you know, and I know this is one of the our initial intents in this conversation, talking about like the first times we got hot. <laughs> but uh, you know, it wasn't that great for me the first okay. few times I yeah. did it. So sorry. So what? What was your first experience like then? Um, you know, it was well, and I think for me, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town. You know what they say about small towns and what there is to do. Right. Um, and What's so small. Give, give me, give me a population. Um, Kalispell, Montana, in the early '90s, we were like twenty thousand people uh, in in the major city. Um, th that's the major. You know, I grew up in a town outside of there that was about five hundred people. Okay, all right, wow. So pretty small town, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, our high school was big, so um, we were like a double A high school. Um, even though we're in the middle of nowhere. And it was because like 39 cities came together with their elementary schools to put them all <laughs> in high school because we had no infrastructure, you know? And uh, you you really didn't. And we we had a graduating class. I think our graduating class is 1,200 and some kids. Um, so large high school. That is, yeah, that's pretty big. It's pretty big, especially yeah. for, you know, nowhere. But it squeeze everybody in the area and they'll, it's, yeah, I mean. Well, elementary school, you would go to school with like all of the same people, you know, until sixth grade. And then they would kind of bus most of the city into one school for seventh grade. And um, then there was like one junior high school, which was eighth and ninth grade where we were. <laughs> and they pumped in most of the kids so like by the time you got to eighth grade, you were with all of the kids that you were going to like graduate with. And uh, then they pumped you up to the, the high school. So you didn't right. go, the high school is only, I think it had to do a size. Uh, the high school was only 10th, 11th and 12th grade. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there was 5,000 kids at that, at that school, you that's know, huge. that's huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to a high school in the LA County and that's, I would think our, 
I think that might be bigger than our high school. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. Like I tell people, like they look at my yearbook and it's like a year and a half or an inch and a half thick, you know, for, <laughs> for like, picture in high school year. I was like, yeah, it's yeah, it, right on. Uh, let me, let me reset this here. We got Tim yeah. Martin with us. Uh, Urban legend Glassworks is the shop out in Phoenix, Arizona. We're talking, we're talking drugs, man. It's the drug code on uh, the uh, driving with gas, man. On Saturday nights, it's our sex, drugs, and UFOs night. We just talked UFOs, Tim. We talked about this guy's Bigfoot experience. We talked about his UFO experience. Do you have a UFO experience just to uh, throw out there real quick? Yeah, I've got, you know, I was here when Phoenix Lights popped off. So that was uh, when I first moved to Arizona. Okay. And um, I was, I think I was 19 years old at the time. So I moved you- here a week a- or a month after that happened. Really? Yeah, yeah. I moved. I moved here in 1998, so okay. we here right around the same time. Yeah, and um, you know, I was very young, and I, I moved out to Maricopa way before you know the developments and everything had started out there, and uh, so literally, like, out in a spot where I had to haul my own water. Like, wow. I, I was from Montana. I thought that was my <laughs> safe place. You know, I did. I honestly, yeah. I felt that was my safe place. Phoenix scared me at the time. I wasn't used to the big city. Um, <laughs> And um, I was standing out there and I watched that stuff happen just right there, you know, you saw and, fly by you. I, I mean, it, well, it was all off in the desert to the, to the Southwest of where we are. That's where it all kind of like uh, the, the Gila bend area that, and, and that's, there's an air force base right there. So they blamed it on the air force. They said that, it, but we were all like using, you know, my neighbor had a big spotting scope for hunting. We were like looking through, like we were trying, my, uh, my other neighbor was an undercover Pinal County uh, sheriff's officer. Right. Uh, he's got like night vision and, you know, fat binoculars and all this stuff. We we're trying to figure out what it was, but you know, it was hundreds of miles away, but it looked like it was right there. Wow. Um, and just floating lights in the distance, you know, and they would go out and then they would come back on in different places. And, you know, they said it was hot air balloons. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, all the fun examples of that. Well, the government just came out and talked about how the, yeah, you, they don't even know what UFOs are. <laughs> so it's like, all right, well, you're, you're acknowledging they exist. You just don't know what the hell they are. Awesome. Um, but you know, one theory is like, why do UFOs need lights? You know, do they they want us to see them, or I mean, is it some kind of intergalactic, uh, you know, tra- traveling thing that they need to have? Well, I think you know, in a lot of aspects, especially something like the Phoenix Lights and some other well-documented events, these are military tests, you know, um, and I think you know the lights and the things that they were doing were really part of the test, whether it was uh, to illuminate a battlefield, block out infrared sensors. I mean, there could have been a lot of different things that they were trying to test out with something like that in the, they, what they thought was the middle of the absolute desert between You, you got to understand where Phoenix lights happened. It was literally in the middle of nowhere between the Mexico border and Phoenix. You know, we're talking 90 miles south of Phoenix, 100 miles south of Phoenix. And what they did was so bright. I don't even think whoever it was intended it. There's just no way. I think at some point somebody was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is going to make the news, you know? Well, I mean, I think if if obviously they're not 
idiots to know that this is a large machine, right. you know, whatever it is. And if you're going to be testing it, you're going to get seen. Exactly. So they have to just accept the fact that, well, we're just right. going to take this one for the team and see what happens. Cross our fingers that it gets washed off as nothing. Um, I, think, I think it's really cool that we're at this point, though, where the government's actually going to start kind of verifying or releasing some of this information. So, yeah, uh, it's it's but again, it's like it's 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 still it still goes nowhere. You know, it's like, yeah, you can accept it. And then this is one of my problems with oh. it goes in circles and go and 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 then you can talk into a wall with this one. Uh, I mean, I think that part of it, too, is like, you know, how far do you open do you lift the gate before you start to figure out like the gate's been way open for a long time right. and are living among us. And that's these thoughts that I think a lot of people start having, sure. including myself. No, I agree. Like, I'm the same way. And I, and I believe in that and I want to believe in it and I want to see it. You know, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, it's like almost like enough. I want to see the proof. Give right. me the real proof. That's just what I would. Truth, yeah. Just tell me That's this. Not the proof. Just tell me the truth of what you know. Right. You do way more than we do. Right. Just we can handle it. Me. You're trying to be my uncle, and I don't even want you to be my homie. You know, like. Uh, I think it would really help society out too, because I think if we came out and said, "Hey, yes, we have been contacted by alien races. This is a legit thing," you, you know, I think uh, it'll. Talk about being woke. I think a lot of people might look at their uh, their belief systems a little differently. A little differently, yeah, yeah. And so you know, and I think you know a, a large part of that is political control, be it you know be you know um, governmental or religious. Right. And um, you know, there's a lot of money at risk. And and I mean, with anything else, follow the money. Where's the power going? Right. You know, and. Um, I, I tell you this much, us knowing that aliens actually exist, let alone us knowing that they are among us, they've changed our society. This, I mean, the resistance that could be anticipated, the, the loss of, the loss of revenue for, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking industries. People don't want to talk about religion as an industry, but Economists don't worry about it. <laughs> they definitely talk about, you know, them as an industry. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the religious structures uh, in the world are some of the largest and most powerful industries that we know. So, you know, that's the final frontier, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you can break that cycle of religion, then you know, it, it kind of, this, that's the problem with our society is that we're not all on the same page. We never really have been um, until someone created, you know, religion. And then now everyone's got to be like, now you got to be on our page. No, you got to be on our page. No, the, our page is the best page to be on, as opposed to just the basics of, of the, the basic book of pages we need to be on are the basic rights of human beings on this planet of, you know, clean food, clean water, clean air, clothes on our back shelter you know and and i don't know it just that doesn't seem to be too much to ask for for living on this planet that no one chose to be here right or if we did then that's a whole other story tim i got you i can go in that direction too <laughs> i can go in that direction too <laughs> there's, there's a lot of ideas about that. <laughs> right and but th i mean that would be the great 
thing about at least a little bit of transparency, um, you know, in in governmental findings and research on you know UFOs. Um, it would change a lot, and I think we would need to brace ourselves for this. Um, I mean, what would really be just a complete systemic change in everything that like really holds together the fabric of our society. And I think that's, you know, this, you know, the big idea um, and, and quite possibly like what's going on with, you know, what's happening in the world today. Um, a lot of folks want to talk about, you know, um, reasons why we went through the COVID pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And I don't even want to get into all that because that's volatile. It's muddy waters right now. But, you know, a, a big word that's being tossed around is called the big reset. You know, it's it's been, what, 85 years went, since we went through an industrial revolution. Hmm. We've been using the same technology, same resources, same ideas of doing things, same structures of businesses. Okay. For 85 years. And look where we're at. I mean, that's all you really have to do. I mean, if you if you, if you right. look where we're, we're stepping over people on sidewalks in cities. Right. That's where we're at as a society right now. And, and you know, and, and complaining that they're there. You know, that's, that's another thing. Well, people like Jeff Bezos are, you know, poised to be, you know, the first trillionaires in history. The, the help he can do would be tremendous. And, you know, maybe he'll, you know, find out someday that that's the way he needs to it's just, it's, 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 it's the way society reacts, you know? Um, it's the way that we all um, feel about everything. You know, and um, whether you're Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Bill Gates, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, uh, at the end of the day, it's this thought process that we have towards empathy, which more importantly equates compassion. Right. You know, we've lost compassion for others whether it's how we drive, you know, uh, on our way home, like how many times have you tried to run somebody off the road because they were being a dick while they were driving. Right. But I remember this, like this moment in my life where it clicked like that, where I was like, Holy shit. What if this dude's pregnant wife was in the backseat of that car and nine months pregnant with complications and he was just getting to the hospital. Right. What if I would have just ran him off the road right now and I got out to go kick his ass like I felt like I wanted to do? And I saw that. How would I feel about myself? Right. More importantly, what would I ever do with myself if that woman lost her child? And all for a, a moment in, on a, in a vehicle on a road somewhere. Right. And you're right. And it gets away from you, the temper and the, and the anger. And right now it feels like it's easy to, to express that, you know, I think a lot of people feel like it's more there. It's, it's comfortable now to express this anger out there. And, and yeah, you were losing touch with that, man. I mean, I think you hit the nail right there with that empathy because, you know, you're looking at a lot of people out there that just don't give a They don't give a shit about people. I mean, the, you know, I mean, without empathy, we don't have connection. So you're feeling separation. Right. 
And through this like inherent feeling of separation, you develop this selfishness and being this in this self-absorbed behavior of like, I need the best credit score and the best car. And I need to live in this house with this kind of girlfriend. And again, it's through this systemic programming that we've went through. And right. now we have this, you know, this pandemic that's come in and scared the shit out of everybody. And we're wearing masks. I don't get to see that smile. I get to see your smile through. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you faces, yeah, I mean, it's just um, there's 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 a lot of this energy being taken away from society. Right. And, um, you know, which is really leading into this self-absorbed behavior and is making it, you know, it increasingly easier and easier to be uh, less compassionate. And, um, you know, it's through a complete loss of empathy for a lot of people. Fuck it. You're not my family. I don't care. Gang, gang. You hear that a lot. Gang, gang. If you're not in my fam, fuck you. That's what that means. I'm just not down with that mentality. I totally understand the idea of tribe and backing your family, no matter what, like I get that. But this feeling of like, if you're not us, then fuck you. I have a really hard time with that. Where we are. That we are. It's exactly where we are right now. I mean, that's right. And, and, and that's the, that's the crux I think is, is, is between that and between the, the people who are being mindful of their thoughts and being mindful of if of what what they really want in life i guess you can say so you know this type of um you know i've learned i i've had a you know a kind of a, an opening for myself a little breakthrough last year for for myself um it was and i'll, I'll tell you it was it was as simple as acknowledging my traumas you know because i actually went through some traumas in my life i didn't, never thought of them as traumas you know and I had, I had these crazy dreams. I emailed this dream interpreter and she wrote back. She said, sounds like you have a lot of traumas. I'm like, I never looked at it like that. I never, and my, I, I'm not kidding, man. My life has changed so much since that. Just acknowledging them. Just acknowledging them. And, and, and that's, and that, and all that, it just starts uh, the domino effect of, of really, I think just helping yourself, you know, become more of a positive light. As opposed to being someone just, just I got to pay the bills, I got to get a job, I got to do this, I got to do that. I mean, you can still do that, but you can do it with a smile on your face. Right. Well, and that's where regression therapy really, you know, helps. It's, it's, it's more than just identifying that you had trauma, like, oh, my mom did this to me when I was a kid. So this is why I react. Yeah, that's the first step in the process. But then again, like to get that healing, what you need is the empathy to be able to understand why mom did what she did. Like, yo, she was a single mother. She went through a grip of shit. She could barely make bills. And you were not a lot of fun as a child. Like, you know what I mean? And you start reliving this, you're like, oh shit. Yeah, (laughs) you know? Oh, yeah. And empathy just helps with that. It's really about putting yourself in somebody's shoes, like, and not saying like, oh, you must just be this terrible person if I'm having to like step over you on the sidewalk to like get into a business. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, but they started where you were and 
you know, maybe like life just made some changes. Like look at those moments where things went one way or the other for you when life could have just been really bad. Where would you have went? I don't know. I might have turned into that guy. I don't know. I am so thankful and grateful that I'm not, you know, but how can I help, you know? And that's really where that's like, how can we help? Empathy helps you not help somebody on the street. Empathy's not about like, oh, don't be that guy. Don't get, no, fuck him. Don't give him $5, this guy banging on the corner. Seriously, he'll figure out if that was a real person, he would really figure out something else to make $5. Like I'll do anything for work. Like I could think of much better signs. Or like, hey, mister, do you have a job for me? Anything? Can I wash your, you know, can I, can I scrub your tires? Whatever, like, and do that job? Like, okay, that's different. We have that choice, you know, regardless of your state in life. But it's not up to us to judge that either. It's up to you to be thankful that you're not filling that void in life, understanding that the infinite is infinite and the universe being universal and that every single expression has to be expressed. Just be thankful that you didn't have to be that part. Mm. It's, it's so uh, it's such a interesting perspective to look at it like that. I, I think getting people to understand what you're saying, getting people, you know, leading the horse to the water, you know, saying this is the way you got to do it. This is the way you need to start looking into it like this. This is how you have to look at it like this or something like that. Because when you get people who just ignore or don't want to live like that, you know, because it, it, it it's going to need a complete generational change. I Don't you think? I mean, I mean, it has to be the mainstream. It has to become the, the main, like the, the, the inner, the, you know, do your inner work, man. And then, you know, learn spirituality is being taught in third grade now. Well, I mean, look, look at, you know, look at what's happening. And I mean, people are trying to, you know, knock spirituality all the time. You hear all of this, you know, this, this, negative connotation of of new age and all of these you know ideas that ram das and others brought in um it's great but it doesn't make them any less true and any of us who have had any dealings with psychedelics psychoactives like we've pretty much all come to the same point in life without even really need to bounce ideas off each other you know, you just inherent, you just come away with this sense of oneness, this one love, this, you know, this, this idea of connection and how everything is connection. And maybe you don't understand the idea yet that you are God and you are everything and you are an expression of this, you know, infinite, you know, idea, um, you may not get that till later. <laughs> the psychedelics, psychedelics always tend to lead you right to that road. Um, but, uh, you know, the, this idea of connection, uh, this idea uh, of uh, family, brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, really kind of comes to the surface, especially when you start, you know, with cannabis. Cannabis is a great, I love how they always call it a gateway drug. Yeah, it is. It's a gateway drug to a lot of other real fucking understanding. It's, you know? Right. That's what I'm saying. We like, we got high young. Yeah. You know, we were 12, 13 when we got high. Right. 
Yeah. So not to say that that needs to be done, but I don't know. Uh, but what I'm saying is that when I've talked to my friend, you know, Val Venus, the big, the big, Val yes, yes, yes. okay. His first time getting high was 27 or 26, yep. or 27. And I told wow. him I was like 12 when I got high and he was like, man, I'm jealous. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, I've never heard that before. You're jealous that I got high at such a young age. And that I was like, now my mind's blown because I'm thinking like, wow, because everybody who gets high now, especially now that it's recreational, you know, now you're getting people who've never been high before getting high. Like it's, you know, trying wine for the first time. So, you know, these people don't, you know, understand what maybe what they're going to get themselves into, how much it might expose their job to them as much as they don't want to see their job in that light. Cause that, that might happen for a lot of people. So I think when we're young and we were so conditioned to that experience when getting high that we saw through the BS. I mean, I don't know what you did through school. I barely graduated high school. So <laughs> yeah. but I was, I always got high and I was just a bad student because I was always like, you know, I question authority and the school's the best place to question authority. <laughs> so it's like, I just never bought into the system. I never bought into religion when I was young and I don't know if that's the weed coming out of me. You know, seeing, well, why is my neighbor Mormon? Why are these guys Catholic? These guys are Christian. These guys are Muslim. These guys are Jehovah's Witnesses. And we're this. It's like, why are we all different? And it, it never made sense to me. If we're yeah. all here, why are we all different? Just because you think differently? Right. I, I just, I, you know, I never grasped on as a kid for, for me. Um, so I've always had that kind of look on society as a kid from, from an outsider's point of view, in a sense. I've always kind of lived life like that. So that's right. that's where I come from when it comes down to 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 drugs and you know smoking marijuana. Is that I've 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 seen through the BS for a very long time, and I'm just trying to dance through it. Yeah, I mean, I I just didn't smoke enough when I was a kid. You know, I I, I probably from the time I was 13 till I was 18, I probably smoked five times, and every experience I had was usually in excess and included alcohol. So it was just horrible. I probably got really, really sick. Matter of fact, most of the times I know I got really, really sick, puked my brains out. Um, but I always knew I liked it and I didn't really become a stoner till I was an adult. I was 18, 19 years old. And then I started smoking pretty regularly. I mean, as often as I could get it. And, um, you know, I know that that was definitely a big, you know, I, I, I felt, I mean, I, you couldn't help but feel the same. Like cannabis changes the, you know, literally changes the structure of the way the, the electricity runs in your brain. It just does. It's scientifically proven. That's why they don't want us to research this shit. It rewires your brain. So do all other drugs. You know, um, if you drink, you know, more water than you should every day, it's going to rewire your brain too. So, you know, everything in moderation, um, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, everything in moderation, but, um, you know, uh, cannabis definitely wires your brain in a sense that I think you're much more open and aware of other dimensional things and realms, or at least aware of that presence. 
that it is there. And, and it comes out in a sense of your connection with one. It's hard even for people to get to grasp that we all communicate. Okay, right. You know, and and everything, I'm digging everything you're saying. Yeah. And now tell Miss Nancy doing weed for the first time. <laughs> hey, you know, that's, the, that's, that's a lot to, that's a lot to take in, man. That, that's a lot to unpack right there for someone who just is going to get started. I mean, and I think you, you knowing that before you get into it could be a larger trepidation than what it's worth. And I think for most of us, it's like, if we know Nancy, fuck Nancy, push her into the fucking closet. Wait, we got pushed. You know what I mean? She needs to figure that shit out first. Okay. But, but, but here's the deal, (laughs) right? No, I I get you right. Like we did, we had to figure it out ourselves. Oh, it's no big deal. You know what I mean? (laughs) But the thing is, is like when we got high, you know, we were doing goofy shit, you know what I'm saying? It's like, now it's like, I don't even know what newbies getting high do for the first time getting high. I just don't know. I mean, I I have to believe that at some point in this country, there was a group of people that got together for the first time to get high as a group. And I don't even know what they would do. I mean, would you have any suggestions to them? Cause we talked about this. I I had you kind of think of some things. I only say that because we have like a few minutes before we have to hit the top. And uh, I want to make sure we, we get this in here as uh like your tip on someone's first time getting high what would you suggest they do for a night of fun yeah i think um you know from early on my experiences try something that you've never tried before so if you want to play the guitar do that if you want to play the drums do that you got some bongos do that do something that's going to use the creative side of your brain and you're going to immediately start to see the effects of what cannabis can do for your life because your creative side, especially if you're a newbie, is going to light up like nobody's business. Like I, I knew like four chords on the guitar, and oh my gosh, I remember one of the first times I got high and I had the guitar. Like it was just the most. I I, I mean, on it. We could have played all night long. We're in a circle. Nobody was like, you know, nobody was complaining about anything, and you know, you know the drum circle days. But we had exposure to that. And I think, you know, exposure to that kind of hippie side of life, that, you know, alternative style of life definitely pushed my creative um, side immediately through my use of cannabis. And it's probably why I, you know, why I ended up being an artist today. That's a great answer, man. I, that's, a, that's a great answer. I, I thank you for sharing that, man. That's, uh, that's really cool. Uh, I, it, it's funny because... Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't know if you were to go in that direction, but um, that's because when you get high and you zone out on something, you know, sometimes it'll be a song. Sometimes it'll be like what you're working on. Like you said, you just get in that mode. Like I, I got high before I played hockey games because it put oh, me because I got focused on it. I got, I got excited and I got totally in the moment because I was high and I was playing hockey. I, I loved it. I, I, I put the two together. So I, I, you're, you're right. I think if you can find something you'd like to do, um, do it, um, on the song matter thingy, um, you know, listening to music is also a beautiful thing to do. I oh, think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but the scary part about that is it might make you listen to your favorite song in a different way. 
Well, and, and people are afraid of like, you know, being vulnerable. I, you know, I always talk about vulnerability in a very positive way, but it's funny, like I'll be in a conversation with somebody and the connotation of vulnerability obviously comes off a completely different way. You could tell they took it as like, well, I'm not vulnerable. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to say, yeah, obviously. And, um, you know, I think the, uh, the willingness and the openness uh, and openness uh, to being vulnerable when you consume cannabis for the first time could be one of the most healing experiences you'll ever have in your life. And it's funny you say that because, you know, I, I never got to experience that as my first time. You know, my first time was with neighborhood kids getting high. You right. know? Me too. Yeah. So you didn't. So not until you get a little older, you get to, like you say, you start realizing certain things are more important in life. You start focusing yeah. on more important things. You, you start being mindful of what, you know, right. I, yeah, I've been practicing some mindfulness myself, you know, and I think that's really changed my perspective and, yeah. and uh, changed my, my positivity a lot more. I'm a lot more positive than I was before. And it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, I like, yeah, you're right, man. We're not the same people. We do change. And, you know, whether it's drugs that help in, in a positive way, I've, I, I can't imagine too many negative things I've done on marijuana except maybe eat too much and i'm telling you tim i'm on the i got the the munchiest weed i've ever smoked in my life <laughs> i smoke this and i like i can't stop eating it right. is like i gotta smoke this out so i don't buy it again that's hilarious <laughs> that's hilarious yeah that's one of probably the only you know downfalls <laughs> of good weed is the munchies but i do like eating uh, you know i think you've noticed i've been off camera i've got some really good big yes. seed over here <laughs> I, know. I know you can't wait to dig in i'm sure I, no I got- i've already killed like half of it <laughs> nice it's hours so we're good i'm trying to i'm trying not to eat past seven o'clock at night that's my that's my mission uh you know i mean I should have more rules for myself. Like, you know, I just turned 41 this year and I really should have more rules for myself. And I don't, you know, my rule is enjoy life. Yes. I mean, enjoy it. I got my wisdom recently. I wish I had it when at least I was at your age, even 10 years earlier would be nice. But uh, I I learned soon enough. And that's what's the most important thing is to figure it out, you know, and and be aware of it before it's too late because that way you can change it you know, and, and change the cycle in the family, change the cycle of your life and uh, find out how you can really use and utilize your own energy to benefit yourself and to benefit your loved ones. And, and uh, there's a lot to it, man. I'm totally digging a lot of this kind of conversation. I'm reading books and we'll have to, we'll have to chat again, man. All right. I, yeah, I think absolutely. Let's do it. I'm yeah. totally down with that. I totally thank you for joining me. I mean, it's been, a, it's been an hour. Uh, and it's been the fastest hour I know. And we've both been pretty high on this whole conversation yeah, yeah, and, we, cool. and we haven't lost our train of thought the whole time. So that's a positive. All right. That's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but Tim Martin, uh, urban legend glassworks out in Phoenix, Arizona. And we didn't even talk about the legalization and stuff like that. Holy crap. We do. Oh, we, we have a round two coming soon with you. Yes, uh, sir. Thank you so much, man. I totally appreciate this conversation, man. It's been enlightening. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you as well. It was really good seeing you. I'm waiting to, can't wait till next time. Rock on, man. All right, I'm going to I'm gonna jam a little Cheech and Chong up and smoke the last song of the movie. And uh, we'll be back. I'm going to talk sex at 11. And uh, Tim, I, I'm ta- I might have a dominatrix on my show, dude. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm gonna, we might. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, brother. All right.
Are you okay? Yeah, sure. Yes, sir? Yes, sir. Now, did you say yes, sir? I think he said, yeah, sure. What'd you say, man? What, well, I said, yeah, sure, but what, literally what I said was, yeah, sure, sir. So you are okay, then? Yes, sir.